Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. A Bible reading this morning will be taken from Philippians chapter 4, from verses 4 to 9. When I am done reading, I would say this is the word of the Lord. Kindly respond by saying, thanks be to God. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Morning, everyone. Um, can you can you put up two Corinthians four verse six and seven? Just before I start, I do want to say something about you know um, what I'm hoping that the Lord will do today. But a lot depends on how a lot depends on how we ourselves are prepared. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all, that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Yesterday evening, I was um, just, it was, a, it was time for my boys to go to bed and often would, would, would pray about Sunday. And so we'd say, what, what are you praying about? And so, but I, I felt led to talk to them about something that most of us would talk to ourselves about. And I said, you know, don't just pray about church in general. What are you expecting to get from church? You know, the Bible says, I think it's Proverbs 23, 18, that um, we, have, we, 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 hope, we have a certain future and our future will not be cut off. And honestly, there is a correlation between what it is if we are hungry for God as we sang, what it is when we are expecting God to do something. There is a correlation between that and whether we receive something from God. 
Amen? The truth is that God is always ready to do something. But really, those who are hungry for God are the ones that receive. I think this sermon is really important because I, in prayer and in preparation for this, I felt a strong sense that there are many people that will need, let me use the word that I felt, that would need the healing of God this morning. And I want to tell you this, I really do believe this is going to be a healing service. But are you expectant? Because what that 2 Corinthians 4 tells us is a massive passage. It says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Do we remember what the context for that, what he was referring to? That was from creation. And in creation, you had chaos. The earth was without form and void. Next thing, you had the spirit of the Lord brooding over the face of the deep, the formlessness, the chaoticness. And it was in that place of chaos and the spirit of God brooding. God said, let there be light. And that light was the thing that turned the chaos into order. That same spirit of God is here. And now we are praying that it's not just the light that brings about the creation, not just the light, because he says it can shine in our hearts. It's not just the light of new creation, but the light of illumination that will bring healing to people's hearts that need it this morning. So Lord God Almighty, we ask that the same light that shone in our darkness, that shone, O oh God, upon the face of the waters, that brought order out of chaos, let light shine this morning. Father, I pray for every expecting heart that their hope will not be cut short. Father, I pray for everyone that is going through chaos within their mind. Let the peace of God, let it reign. We ask for your anointing, O oh God, in this house. We pray that it will descend upon us and like a rushing mighty river that we will be healed by the presence of the Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to welcome anyone who has worshipped us for the first time. We hope that it will be a blessing. Last week was our first service of the year. and We didn't do a crossover, but what we said, what we announced was the theme of the year that is going to, if you like, a prophetic theme that is going to give us a sense of direction of where we are going and it's going to inform the things that we do this year. How many people remember what that theme was? Inside out, all right? And what we were saying was, yes, God wants to use us on the outside, but God can only effectively use those on the outside, who take care of their inside. God is looking for us to bring wholesomeness on the outside, but you need inner wholesomeness. I'm said, trying to live that inside-outside life is what we are going to be focusing on this year. Now, I do want to, with this sermon, still lay out a sort of framework. It's still a vision cast, if you like, and then we'll get into proper sermon series from next week. But you know, there's a word that... Um, encapsulates what that inner wholesomeness is. There's a word that we have. We call it in English, we call it peace. Not bad. But you see, peace is derived from certain kinds of cultures when you now do the translation into English. And because of that, depending on the culture that you're in, you are going to interpret peace to mean something. But from the biblical standpoint, it comes from a Hebrew word, which a lot of us know is called shalom. If you don't know that, you've probably said, I'm alaykum, 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 right? Which is, in Arabic, 
peace be upon you. So it's basically very, very similar words, salam and shalom. And what is that? In a general sense, shalom is the well-being that's the result of a fully harmonious relationship. Should I say it again? Shalom is the well-being that's the result of a fully harmonious relationship. It results from a fully harmonious relationship. So, for instance, if I say that I have shalom with my wife, what that means is, as a result of a fully harmonious relationship with my wife, I feel good. That sense of feeling good, that feeling of good, is the shalom that we feel. Amen. There is a harmonious relationship with my wife. It's the same thing. We look for shalom at work. We look for shalom in different places. Now, notice what shalom or peace is in this definition. What peace is not, let me say what peace isn't. Peace is not quietness. Why? Because you can get quietness simply through uh, quietness. You can find that in the context of retreat. Peace you can only get within the context of relationship. Am I talking to somebody? With quietness, all I need to do, like to get away from all the hustle and bustle of Lagos, is I say, I retreat from the city. I go into the forest and I can get quietness. At the same time as well, many times when we are in difficulties in our relationship, what do we do? We say, I can't deal with this anymore and we retreat. It's not that we have established peace. We've only just established quietness. But when it comes to the peace that we are talking about, it is the thing, the fruit, or the result of a fully harmonious relationship. And here's the thing about the Bible. It is hard for you to understand the Bible from Genesis to Revelation without understanding this thing, that God is for peace. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is for peace. The whole story of the Bible can be looked at through the lens of peace. We have a God who is peaceful within himself. Why? Because God is Trinity, and that, in that Trinity, he's saying that God is three persons, but he's fully united as one. For that full unity to happen, there must be harmony between the persons. Are we following? And so God in himself is peace, so that God creates peace. So that's why when he created the heavens and the earth, everything was good. In fact, it says that he walked along in the cool of the day. When we say everything was good, it means everything was working. Everything was working as it ought to. It was in full, harmonious relationship. God created a world of shalom, of peace. And everything was working because not only did he create the inanimate things, he created animate things and he created human beings who were the apex of his creation. And as long as there was peace between God and the human beings, there was going to be peace on the earth. Amen. So God walked with Adam in the cool of the day in the garden. There was peace between them until something came called sin. What was sin? Sin was a disruption, a willful disruption of the shalom or the peace between humanity and God. 
As long as the relationship was working, there was shalom. But sin came in as a willful, what? Disruption of the peace between man and God. And once that happened, there was now a disruption of the peace between God and the whole creation and between the humanity and the creation itself. Are we still following? But you see, the God who is a God, the God who created in peace, not only can he create in peace, he can recreate or he can restore in peace. And so what the Bible storyline afterward is all about is how God restores that peace. And he does it through a particular person. Now remember, the first problem was a lack of peace between God and humanity. And so when we read in Romans chapter 5, let's read that together. Romans 5 verse 1. See what it says. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, what happens? Peace with God. How do we have peace with God? Through Jesus Christ. So God through Jesus Christ brings back peace with God. Now, that is not where it's meant to end. In Colossians 1, we are told where it's meant to end because if God can bring back peace between us and him, where do you think he's going? Colossians 1 verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his... Uh, sorry, is that, that the right place? Yeah, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's Jesus Christ. Keep going. And through him to reconcile to himself what? All things. If you are wondering what that all things are, he expands on it. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making what? Through on, shed on the cross. So God is restoring peace back. That is what we are going through. That is the storyline of the Bible. And so if that is the case, then the next thing is this. If you have been restored back to God, if you have been restored to God by, through Christ, so now you have peace with God, do you know who you are? You are two things. You are one, a peacekeeper. Two, you are a peacemaker. A peacekeeper and a peacemaker, they're not the same thing. Let me tell you, first of all, we are peacekeepers. Well, who is a peacekeeper? You know the, the UN talk about peacekeeping forces sometimes. You know what a peacekeeping force is? They are not there, they are not there to war. They are there... Peace was established, but now they are there to enforce the peace. And so in the church of Christ, where people have already been restored to God, there is already peace there. What we are meant to do is to keep the peace going. Ephesians 4 verse 3, it says this. It says, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Notice what we are doing. We are keeping the peace. Amen. So we are peacekeepers in the church but when we are outside of the church in the world we are meant to be peacemakers do you remember that colossians 1 verse 20 it says that god made peace through christ so the children of god are also meant to be peacemakers matthew 5 verse 9 blessed are the peacemakers the peacekeepers in the church become the peacemakers in the world blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called so as long as we reflect God, who is a peacemaker, we also are meant to be peacemakers. So that's why when we go into the world, we go with the message of what do you think the message is? The gospel of Acts 10 verse 36 says, you know the message that God sent to all Israel 
announcing the good news of, or Ephesians 6 verse 15 where we all know it says that, have the readiness with your feet, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of, are you seeing that God is for peace? Turn to your neighbor again and say, God is for peace. But there's one problem. The peacekeepers and the peacemakers often have peace issues. Am I lying? If it was that we had fully established in peace, then there would be full peace on the earth. But the problem is, we even have peace. We that are meant to keep peace in the church. We actually bring about the opposite of peace, isn't it? And when we go into the world and the world does not give us peace, we also go fire, what? For fire. The peacemakers and the peacekeepers often don't have or often are not living a life of peace because peace is often first received before it is felt. And so this is why in John chapter 20, verse 21, even though we are called to go out, remember it's the inside-out life, we are called to go out. Jesus first says, mm, because you people always have this issue, he says, he said to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Yes, you should go out, but you need to go out with peace. We struggle with the peace within. We have peace, yes, but we often don't live lives that demonstrate that we have peace within. And so one of the things, what we want to try to do throughout this course of this year, and at the framework I want to just lay out in this sermon that presents that, is how do we, for those of us who have received Christ, how do we live a life where the chaos in our lives, right, the chaos outside of us, does not get into us. How do we live a life so that the peace that God has already given to us is something that can now, according to what Paul said, that can guard our hearts and our minds. And so that's why we've called this not living for peace, but living from peace. I want to look at that under these three headings. Lacking peace. Practicing peace and anticipating peace. Lacking peace, practicing peace, and anticipating peace. So let's start. Now, last week, um, our main text was Deuteronomy 33, verse 18. And in that text, one of the things we saw was that it said we should rejoice twice. Rejoice in your going out and rejoice in your going in. That's what he told us. Now, the funny thing is, I love this, this text that we read also starts with rejoice twice. Remember what it says? It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So the inside out life that we spoke about last week and even now is meant to, if you live it, you are meant to be characterized by joy, joy, joy. Joy, 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 joy down in my heart where... Uh, you know the ones that went to Sunday school. Yeah, yeah. Or you've already started forgetting. This is the problem. You're lacking peace. But what's the alternative to this joy that we have? Verse 6. Do not be anxious for anything. Rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious. The opposite or the alternative to joy is anxiety. What is anxiety? Anxiety is a state of inner disorientation that is precipitated by 
fear of the unknown. Did you get that? It's a state of inner disorientation that is precipitated by what? Fear of the unknown. So anxiety tells you straight up that you are disoriented in your life. What is the thing that is causing that inner disorientation? It is particularly fear of the unknown. Have you ever met somebody that is anxious? Just look to your right and look to your left. Anxiety brings about instability because within us there is a disorientation. And one thing you realize about people who are anxious, they are never really joyful. They are not joyful when things are going on well. Neither are they joyful when things are not going well. You see, they're not joyful when things are not going on well, you understand that, for fear of the fact that they will never get that thing that they want that will make them happy. But when things start going on well, they will now be afraid of losing the thing that they got that they thought was going to make them happy. I'll give you an example. I'm not saying anything to anybody here in particular, but you will understand this. So somebody gets married, and as we do now, you get married, you say, what happens? Um, I want to, when are you, you know, the parents will start asking, so how far? You know how the thing is, you know, normally parents say, don't date anybody in school. And then the moment you come out of school, they say, where's your husband, where's your wife? Then the moment you get married, even though it's meant to be nine months, they say, where's the, where's the picking? So, but you, you somehow fob off your parents, you and your spouse have agreed that it's going to, we're going to use one and a half years to, enjoy and know ourselves as though you will not have to still know yourselves after the person comes pregnant but let's leave that one aside we'll leave that foolishness aside somewhere <laughs> uh, you go to premarital counseling we'll bang out all, all of those things about me uh, see you. so you decide to wait after you've waited for your 18 months 18 months now comes around and then you get busy in trying to make the baby and you now start worrying about, is this baby coming? Is this actually? Yeah, I've checked. We've done everything. We read the manual. We did it. Okay, so let's, let's not say that one there. But we, we, you know, everything. We did everything. We don't know. We checked. We, ah, this is, people say, cool down. This is how it happened for us too. We, the, the, the doctor will say, don't worry. He said, no. Hey, my parents said it. What if? Is it that pill that I took? Boom. Big, big, bouncing baby. Well, you, now she don't get belly. So now you're pregnant. So all your fears and anxieties should go away, Abby. No, this is the point where you find that you are pregnant. You and your spouse know. You tell your parents, but you say, don't tell what anybody. That's Niger for you. We don't, hey, and my enemies, they will know. So you try not to allow anybody to know in the first trimester. But you know, after the first trimester, you know, your nose now is two times the size it was before. You're like, we know you like boo-boos, but ah, ah, how many boo-boos? You know, everybody are walking. Why didn't she come to church? Eh, she wasn't feeling too far. Ah, ah. <laughs> she's not feeling too far. So, now people know. But I remember a friend of my wife, and, you know, sort of my friend, a few years ago, the bib was, you know, getting there. She was getting there. And... So I said, this is, she probably had like four months, three, four months, I'm not sure. So I said, hey, how far, when is your EDD? You know what she said? She said, eh, maybe sometime in August, or maybe sometime in September, or maybe so. 
You know, the first year I tried, you used to like, ah, she knows who I am now. She knows that I can think. You know? And I said, no, 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 the EDD. He said, yeah, it's just somewhere around. I said, auntie, is, there is a date for the EDD. What's wrong with you? You know what's happening? Anxiety. It's about, you, are first, you first were scared of not getting married. You got married. Then you are scared of not having children. You now got pregnant. Now you are scared of losing the pregnancy. Then after the baby comes, everything is fine. But now you don't leave your house until 40 days. We don't see you in church. You say, ah, no, because she's not feeling too fine. She's not, that one is a Niger problem. When my wife and I were abroad, we got free from that thing. When we were in church one day, and one lady, they said, ah, she gave birth to the baby on Wednesday. She was back in church on Sunday. My wife, when we started, uh, when we started meeting just for what was going to be City Church, she gave birth on Wednesday. We used to meet on Saturday. She came on Saturday. So all this, no, I'm just trying to, uh, you don't want them to see you. The truth is that you don't want them to see you the way you are. So you started going to the gym. And you started dieting. The thing with anxiety is this. There is an inner disorientation and it never ends. You will be scared, you are scared and you are fearful of not getting the thing that you want or losing the thing that you have gotten. Always fear of the unknown. What can come and take it away? I don't know, but there are many of them. And the thing with anxiety is that what it then does is that it makes us, it, we feel too many different issues. And sometimes it's not very obvious. In 2012, if you met me, the last thing you will say is that this person is an anxious person. I believed in God. I was, you know, teaching Bible study. I was running my PhD. If you saw me, guy with good stature. Protected my wife, protected everything. But I was having some chest pains. I used to have some chest pains. It will come once or twice, come, then it will go. Then it came again, it will go. Then it started becoming rapid. It started becoming rapid. I said, go and see a doctor. So I went to see the doctor. And then they took my vitals. And they looked at my vitals. And what do you think they saw? Nothing. Everything was fine. Checked another doctor. Looked at my vitals. Everything was fine. Next thing, the doctor started saying, are you under some stress? I said, auntie, what is this stress? Well, I'm in Nigeria. We don't have stress. We give birth to stress. I'm not even kidding. She was asking me a question. To cut a long story short, I was diagnosed with panic attacks. And it was as a result of deep-seated fears. Will I finish this PhD? Will I live up to people's expectations of me? There was one aunt of mine. She always calls me. Even till today, she calls me Mr. President. You understand? There's still some time. There's some time. Deep-seated fears. And some of us, that is the truth. There are deep-seated fears. Now, I never came out with it. Maybe I wasn't even as honest with myself. It was repressed. But whatever you repress eventually will find its way out through something. This is what anxiety is. It's an inner disorientation. I don't know if somebody has come into this place and you are feeling that kind of inner disorientation. You've come to the right place. For the Lord will deliver you from it in the name of Jesus. When I find that when I'm overworking, not sleeping well, when I'm praying less but trying to fix more, it's all down to anxiety. Because you are trying to figure out your place in this world. Do I matter? Do I have any kind of value? 
And so sometimes your overwork is just trying to ensure that people will respect me, trying to ensure I have this account number, try, uh, this uh, balance in my account, trying to ensure I get this promotion, trying to ensure I can be at this party, trying to ensure that I can dress in this particular way. There is an inner disorientation that makes us unstable. It's an inner insecurity. This is why sometimes we look for credit for things that we don't really deserve and we escape the criticisms of the things that we deserve because it tells us something that we don't want to hear. I love another definition of anxiety. In fact, I think this is the best definition. The person says this, what's anxiety? It's imagining a future without Jesus in it. Imagine your future without Jesus in it. And all the time when I'm anxious, it is because, let me tell you, there's no time I have felt anxiety in my life. And if you come to meet me and say, are you thinking about Jesus and the goodness of Jesus and the fact that he's Savior and that he's got your back? No, I'm not. And so the lie of anxiety is to tell you that God does not love you. And once you have that through your external circumstances and all that, once you have that, there's an inner disorientation. Because now, if God doesn't love me, if all these people don't love me, what do I... I'm alone. I have to try and fix it. But what if all the things I'm trying to do to fix it, what if it doesn't work? An inner disorientation. But it doesn't just affect you. You know what it affects? It affects your relationships as well. You know, the context of this Philippians 4 that we read, if you read up verse 2 and verse 3, Paul had some ladies, nice ladies, Judea, Judea and Syntyche. He says that they labored with Paul in the gospel. These were missionary women. These were powerful women. He said, they labored with me. They knew Paul's theology. They knew everything about Christ. He's the this, that, that, that. But Paul said, please appeal to them. <laughs> Go to verse 2. He said, I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Have you ever fought with anybody in church before? Spirit-filled, you know, Jesus-loving, but just absolutely horrible. That's Sintiki and Judea. You know the problem, Paul says, when he says they should be of the same mind in the Lord, we see that phrase already in, the, in two chapters earlier in Philippians. So if you go to that in Philippians 2, verse 5, just go to verse 5, we'll get back to 2 to 4, but we'll go to verse 5. He says, in your relationships, what? Have with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What did that mindset, character, uh, what was it characteristic of? Look at verse 2. Now, we read from verse 2 to verse 4. No, Philippians 2 from 2 to 4. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being, in, being one in spirit, and of one mind. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value yourselves, uh, value others above yourselves for not looking to your own interest, but, to the, but each of you to the interest of the others have the same mind. So when he was saying that Judea and Syntyche should have the same mind in the Lord. He was not saying that they should have the same opinions. He was saying they should have the same attitude. Humility, value yourselves. In other words, listen, unity is never really totally about us agreeing on every point of doctrine. It is about us having the same attitude in the Lord. Amen. And the one thing that will not allow you to do that is anxiety. 
Because anxiety makes you feel like you are alone. Anxiety makes you feel like you are the one that has to do anything. So at that point, Sintike, uh, 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 Tolu, or uh, 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 Queen, or all of those when she's fighting against me, it's not that we are disagreeing about a particular thing. She hates me. She's also one of the people that is coming for me. That's why in verse 5, it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Because the opposite of gentleness, that is also a fruit of anxiety, is brutality. And so all of a sudden, your anxiety stops you from being Valuing others above yourself, it makes you uh, value others above yourself. It makes you value yourself above others. But at the extreme, for those of us who can be powerful sometimes and have powerful tongues, it leads toward brutality. In other words, guys, what I'm trying to say is that anxiety, in case you didn't catch the picture, is not good for you, neither is it good for a relationship. Anxiety will rob you of the life that God wants you to live. Amen? And yet, it's with us every day. So how do we deal with this anxiety? Because I can't lie to you, I deal with it. How do we deal with anxiety? Paul gives us an answer, verse 7. He says, and... In fact, I want us to read it together. Verse 7. And let's read it with you know, a sense of boldness and belief and faith. Are we ready? Let's go. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Can we say it again? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The answer to anxiety is the peace of God. Who believes that? It is the peace of God. Now, first thing I want to quickly say about this peace of God, notice what he says. He says, it transcends what? All understanding. Some people who probably don't believe in Christianity, maybe you're here, what you hear from that is, it is illogical. The peace of God, which as a religious person you are meant to have, and you know religious people, you believe in faith, even though faith is not rooted in reality, but for you to be able to just deal with the complexities of life and live in a world that is not real, you have to have this peace of God that is illogical to any kind of understanding. No, sir. It does not say it is against understanding. It says it transcends understanding. What is going on here? It is basically telling you this. It is saying it transcends mere human understanding. It transcends mere human understanding. For it to transcend human understanding, what it's saying is that it is beyond human understanding, even though human understanding points to the need of it. It is beyond human understanding, even though human understanding points to the need of it. Let me explain what I mean. When I say something, you know, sometimes you can experience a thing and you realize that that thing is not really what you want, but you needed to experience that thing to really know what you really wanted. Scenario. Some of you have seen, maybe some of you have experienced. Again, I'm not saying this is right in every situation, but have you ever heard of the two people that were dating and they were dating from school and they dated for six years. Everybody thought they were going to get married. 
Everybody in school had said, ah, these ones are going to get married, you know. So they dated for six years. Next thing, you heard that they broke up. And everybody say, oh, seven, seven. oh. And so you're feeling bad for them. How are they going to recover everything? Six months down the line, you hear one of them has gotten married. Have you not heard it before? Have you not heard it before? I even know. I have some of you here. Let's not, you know, personal confidentiality, that kind of thing. Six years, they were with this person. They didn't get married. Six months after, they got married. Do you know why? In some cases, not in all the cases, some of it, one person is a scumbag. The other one, the other, can I say scumbag? It's not, that's not cursing, Abby. Okay. <laughs> it's not, I'm not saying that curse, so I'm just saying, you know, because the standards change every, every year. <laughs> oh, God Almighty, help us. All right, back. You know why it also happens sometimes? Sometimes it's this. That person, when, when I spent six years with you, I got six years to understand that you are not the person I want. But you had taken me through six years of all the different kinds of things that I can go through that when I was thoroughly finished with you, I already knew exactly who I wanted. So once I spotted the person, I didn't need to wait for another six years because I spent six years with you. So thank you very much. Amen? I didn't say, I, you remember I said the, sometimes it is because, do you understand? Sometimes you experience something. Your experience of something shows you that not only is that thing insufficient, that also it points you to something else. This is what Romans 3.21 is talking about. It says, if you try to use the Moses for salvation, you will find out it is insufficient. But what it says is this. It says, but now the righteousness of God is revealed apart from the law. The law cannot bring the righteousness of God, right? He says, but to which the law and the prophets testify. Do you follow? If you experience the law and try to use the law, obedience to the law as for salvation, you will find out that the law will condemn you. But in that law condemning you, it is showing you that there is a need for a salvation that is outside of the law. And so what we find out is that there is a lot of mere human understanding that is given to us to deal with the anxiety that is in us. Human understanding tells you that, for instance, if you find the right partner to get married to and you get the right bank account, you get the right job that gives you all the money you need, if you have that, you will be absolutely fine. You can deal with anxiety, just have a good spouse and have good money. How many people believe that's true? Some people won't say, I'm not sure whether it's true or not. Let me first have it. <laughs> but you don't want, because you're in church, you don't want to raise your hand up. Let me tell you something. In this, in this world that we live in, do you know the countries that, have, that are most romance-obsessed? The Western world. Isn't it? Right? Most of the rom-coms are just the roms. Right? Romantic movies, all of them come from the U.S., isn't it? They are obsessed with romance. Obsessed with romance. Do you know the wealthiest country in the world? No, Qatar is per capita income, but just GDP-wise. Do you know the wealthiest country in the world? It's the U.S. It's the U.S. The U.S. is the wealthiest country in the world and is the most romance-obsessed country in the world. And do you know that in terms of 
antidepressant medication, do you know who is number one in the world? If mere human understanding that tells you that romance and wealth are going to give you the end of your anxiety, it, you need an understanding that transcends that human understanding. The problem, whether, you know, psychiatrists, secular psychiatrists, they do, they do a decent job. They can help you with symptoms. They can help you with different things. But at the root of anxiety, it's not a problem with our biology most of the time. It's not a problem with our biology. It is a problem with our spirituality. Mere human understanding cannot give you that. You know the problem with human understanding? With mere human understanding as a solution for the problem that we have in us, the problem is that mere human understanding comes from human beings. The problem with the peace of men is that it comes from men without peace. But what we need is the peace of God. Why? Because it comes from the God of peace. Verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul gives you the peace of God because it comes from the God of peace. He is peace within himself. Amen. And so we need something that transcends human understanding if we are going to deal with the deep recessive of our soul. Oh Lord God Almighty, bring your anointing into this place and bring illumination and understanding. Because it doesn't just help us with the things that are, the fears that we know, even the fears that are unknown. Look at what Psalm 48 tells us. Psalm 44 verse 8. Psalm 4 verse 8 says, In peace I will lie down. In peace I will lie down and sleep. That's one of the verses I use when I don't sleep well. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. No human being can do it. So when you are trying to protect your children, don't go up on the slide. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't, my friend, you can't protect the safety of your children. Because when you are trying to protect them from slides, you don't know after they used the toilet and they did number two, they didn't wash their hand. You weren't there. They ate the food. They, they, they hugged you. All of that. You're wondering where your bacteria is coming from. That is wonderful. I mean, that's, that's gross. Exactly. That's why you need the Lord to make you lie down in safety. Isaiah 28 tells you, it says, that he will keep, at 26 verse 3, he will keep what? In perfect peace. Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Every time you trust in yourself or you trust in another human being, I can assure you at the end of it, anxiety will come. Because by the arm of strength shall no man what? Prevail. So how do we receive this peace of God? Let me tell you something. The way you receive the peace of God, you know the peace of God itself transcends all understanding. The method of receiving the peace of God itself transcends all understanding. Can I tell you one way that we receive it? Are you ready for it? You receive it by it being said over you as a blessing. That's why I say, that's it, yes. You receive it by it being said over you what? As a blessing. Notice this verse 7 and this verse 9. Paul is not praying this over somebody. What is Paul saying? Paul says, and the peace of God, what? Which translate, and the peace of God will guard you. He's saying it over someone. Verse 9, he says, and the God of peace will be what? With you. Again, he is not praying. Now somebody is saying, ah, you, know, you see, this is all this religious hocus pocus and all of that. What, what kind of thing? Just so, if you just speak something over me, then it is done. Uh, yes, sir. And let me tell you why. Because human understanding also doubles into this, but this just transcends. Imagine um, uh, some of the people that are engaged now. 
they go for, to their registry. You have registered at Ikoi uh, registry. They've done the 30 days thing. Maybe they still do that 30 days thing. It's 21 days. Ah, now 21. They should have increased it to like 45, actually. Because you are not sure. All right, so you do the 21 days, and now it is time. And so you come to the registry. One guy whose suit, right, is not, is, is looking obviously jaded. His tie is not done very well, blah, blah. He tells you, okay, uh, we are all there, blah, blah. You want to sign something. And now says, and by the, at the end of it, he says, by the power that is vested in me, I now pronounce you man and wife. That's it. That's it. You are now man and wife. If that guy does not say you are man and wife, you are not man and wife. But now this human being, right? This human being said human words and what he said was so. Why? It wasn't because of just the words. It was because of the powers that were vested what, in him. As a result of the power of the state, he could bring about something that did not exist and he could make it happen. If a human being can use human words with the power of human beings to bring about something that isn't so, how, how, how much more when a human being, a believer in the Lord, with the power of God vested in him, with the words of God, decides to speak over you. I, let me prophesy over somebody. May the peace of God garrison your heart and your mind. This thing is not always prayed about. When Jesus met his disciples, listen to what he said in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20 verse 16, give it to me. John 20 verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and prayed. And what prayed? And he what? Said. He said what? Peace be unto you. It's not always prayed. It is said over you. And you say, I don't understand. It is a, an understanding that transcends human understanding. You say, oh, but that's Jesus. Okay, let me take you to Aaron. Aaron the high priest in, in, in Numbers chapter 6. Listen to what he says. Tell Aaron and his sons. This is God speaking to Moses. This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you. And the Lord keep you. And the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you. And the Lord does what? May the peace of God rest upon you. I pray in the name of Jesus for anyone that is going through a terrible kind of anxiety. I pray that whatever is broken inside you may be broken in the name of Jesus. I pray whatever is bringing the enemy's into your mind may it cease from today in the name of Jesus I pray that whatever is going to bring life in you may it spring forth in the name of Jesus may the quiet peace of God may it garrison you it should be spoken over us don't forget this we are called not to just pray we are called to bless if Balaam, a false prophet, Balaam, a false prophet, in Numbers 23, verse 20, what did he say? He said what? I have received a command to bless. I cannot but bless. Guys, let us be in the habit of blessing one another. Someone say, eh, well, you know, the, the, don't be too smart for yourself, oh. Yes, Christianity has the dimension, the intellectual dimensions, but they are dim if it was simply intellectual, it would also just be studied in the university as other things. It can be studied there, but it transcends that. The Lord is in the habit of blessing his people through his people. May the Lord bless you. 
Let me show you one more thing. So, because somebody will say, ah, but okay, we've collected it now. Notice, go back to that uh, uh, John chapter 20, verse 19. John 20, verse 19. Notice, it says, on the evening of that first day of the week, right? We know that on the evening of that first day of the week, he said to them, peace be with you, right? Do you know what happened on, uh, in verse 26? Verse 26. A week later, a week later, his disciples were in the house and Thomas with them, blah, 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 blah. Jesus came and stood among them and he said what again? You don't need it just for one day. You don't need it just, at least from this one, if we just we are terrible with the text, at least you need this peace blessing every week. And so don't miss church. We'll always bless you. Guys, let's be in the mood. Yes, for those of us that have children, teach your children the ways of the Lord. Bless your children. I've taught you about prayer, that there are four types of prayers that you can pray for someone, that's like, that's like a, a, a intercession. You can pray with someone. You can pray about someone. But you can pray over someone. May, let, let our mouths always command the blessing of peace over people in the name of Jesus. So that's the first way we receive it. Now, second, practicing peace. Now, I want to quickly show you something. Because again, I do know there can be some skeptical people. I've always been a skeptical person myself, but may the Lord deliver us from our skepticism. You know, there's a healthy kind of skepticism, but there's a kind of skepticism that eventually starts to question everything without having answers to anything. Now, somebody will say, eh, so it's just this blessing. Those that are, uh, that are very, very intellectually inclined will say, this church will oh, become Pentecostal church again now. Uh, you see what I'm saying? It is, it is. All right. But let me explain. Is it just that someone is prophesying over you and that's it? Well, in some sense, yes, it can happen. But it doesn't always work like that. Let me show you a passage in 2 Kings chapter 5, very quickly, about Naaman the Syrian. Now, Naaman the Syrian was a Syrian general who had leprosy. And somebody in his household, a slave in his household, told him about a prophet in Israel. And so he went, there was a letter sent to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel eventually, uh, Elisha the prophet said he should come. Now when he went to meet Elisha the prophet, he got to Elisha's house, Elisha didn't allow him inside. And this is what he said, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. That's, that was the instruction. First, it was a bit dilly-dallying. Some people convinced him. Verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. Say that phrase with me. As the man of God had what? And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Now notice, there was a word that was sent to him. And anytime you see the man of God's word, it's really the word of God. There was a word given, there was a word said to Naaman. In that word was the healing that was there. And yet, the word required a response of obedience, of something he had to do. Are you following what I'm saying? And that was when the healing was complete. In other words, why is that? You know, it's called the book of kings. In one way, the book of kings. They're called the book of kings, one and two kings. And when you read it, you'll be like, hey, these kings are really bad kings. Oh. There's another way the book of kings, if you read them, you will notice something. It is both the book of kings, but also the book of prophets. You see Elijah, you see Elisha. You often see this terrible thing, these terrible kings, but also you see that these prophets are coming against the kings or these prophets are performing miracles. Are you following 
And many times you see something was happening according to the word of the Lord or according to the word of the Lord said by Elijah, said by Elijah. Do you know why? Even though it is the book about some good kings but mainly bad kings, it is really also just the book of the king. The book of the king because the word of the king is there. What does Ecclesiastes 8 tell us? It says, where the word of a king is, there is what? Power. So what you saw with Elisha going uh, with Elisha and Naaman is the word of the Lord was the word of the king, not the word of any other king. And as long as it was obeyed, the power from that word was going to be manifested. Amen. So where the word of the king is, there is power. Verse 5. What's going on? Can you hear me? Okay, where the word of king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what are you doing? But verse 5, it says, he who keeps his, he who keeps his what? Nothing harmful will come to him. So it is possible for someone to prophesy over you. But at the end of the day, there are still things that we do. So he says, oh, either you prophesy and it's done, or it is, or I, I, uh, I, I, I keep obedience and then it happens. I was like, if that's what you want to but please go and write your own Bible. This is what the Bible teaches. Amen. And so what we have is, even though we have the blessings of peace, we have the practices of peace. Somebody here say that. We have the blessings of peace and we have the practices of peace. Notice that in verses, that verse 7, where it says, and the peace of God, there is a word there. It didn't just say the peace of God. It says, and the peace of God. Verse 9 also, when it says the God of peace, it says, and the God of peace. You know why he's saying that? He's saying because there were things that were going to be done before we talk about the peace of God and the God of peace. Amen. The peace of God is a blessing that is poured out on the practices of peace. So if you then read verse 9, Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard of me or seen in me, put it into practice. There is the blessing of peace and then there are the practices of peace. Are we together? And so what we want to do and what we're going to really be doing over the course of the year is trying to learn about the practices of peace. When it talks about it guarding your heart and your mind, right? You first guard the heart. It gets to the heart because anxiety is an issue of the heart. But for us, you didn't get into this state of anxiety in one day. So not, it's not that the blessing doesn't work. The blessing is poured out on the, on the practices that work. We condition ourselves to be able to be people of peace. And I look at some of you people's hair, right? For instance, I, I can see hair that is not using conditioner, and I can see hair that is using conditioner. So, like, you look at mine, how healthy it is, right? 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it takes a while, right? You condition it. Yes. Before my do you agree? If she looks away, may the peace of God be upon you. Conditioning, anxiety, we are in a state of being conditioned. We spoke about that last week. All the distractions around us, all the ways where we are stimulated in, uh, you know, to feel anxious. It's not just that it came to us, it's that we were conditioned in it. And so if we are going to come out of it, we must be conditioned in something else as well. Are you following? So there are four categories. I'm just going to rush through them because, again, these are things that we are rolling out throughout the year. Fourth, first one, instruction. In verse 9, listen to what Paul says. Now, Paul has said that the things you have learned or received. 
you've learned or received from me, right? So how do you learn and receive them? The first thing he says is, heard from me. Heard. So instruction. Instruction. Just like we are doing now, we are teaching, right? And so we're going to be teaching a number of things from the Bible, from the Christian uh, historical um, the history that um, people have practiced to be able to make them people of peace. Now, I want to sound a note of warning. Some of us, when, when we start one or two of these things, and maybe particularly someone like Dami that will bring it, because Dami is really into this stuff. Where is Dami? He went outside. When we start, uh, Dami is there. When we start doing a few of these things, some people say, ah, this is a bit weird now. I didn't know that we believed in this kind of thing. I want you to be, to have an open mind. Turn to your neighbor and say, have an open mind. And we're not about to become a heretical church. But let me give you a story of mine. Um, I became really, really serious about my Christian faith probably around 2005. But it was a rapid rise. I started studying the Bible, doing reading, doing all manner of things, listening to every sermon I could. In 2006, someone gave me a book. The name of the book was called, um, it was about a 17th century um, um, a French monk, right? It was called, uh, the name was Brother Lawrence. It was called The Practice of the Presence of God. How many of us know that book? Mm-hmm. How many of us find that book weird? Uh-huh. All right. I read it, and I can't lie to you, it had a deep impact on me. It had a deep impact. I remember just hungering for the Lord. I remember just yearning for God. I will fast for long. I was having wonderful experiences. But then I got smarter. I got smarter. Say, tell to anybody, say, he got smarter. Because I started reading other things. I started breaking down theology. I started, you know, seeing other people. And I was like, blah, blah. And then I even got into church history. And I started really seeing the difference between the Catholic church and the Protestant church. And I'm like, hey, the Catholics, ah, they don't even serve God. It's an apostate church. And I'm like, hey. And so I now started remembering Brother Lawrence. I said, wait, how could I been, have been learning something from a Catholic monk? They don't even believe in marriage. And then they, they don't believe that the Bible is the only word of God. And all of these reductionistic kinds of thinking. And so I got smarter. And I got more theologically astute. And I became a true Protestant, a true evangel- evangelical, charismatic Protestant. And I knew so much Bible, and my hunger for the Lord went down. Went down. Let me say something to you. Being too skeptical can rob us of how God has decided to bless each church through the whole church. Being too skeptical about brothers and sisters can rob us of how God has decided to bless the, each church with what? The whole church. Now, don't get me wrong. I still don't, um, I still don't, there are many things I still don't agree with the Catholic church. Right? I'm not, we're not about to become Catholic. That's, that ain't happening. But do I believe God's presence is there? Yes, I do. And do I believe that God has put some things in certain orders and certain places that they have that we don't have? Let me tell you, I'm a product of many streams of the 
of the church. Whether it's the one that will call themselves, they are very, very cessationists, they don't believe in the charismatic gifts, but they like a lot of theology, or the ones where they believe in the charismatic gifts, but the theology is always up and down the place. No one church tradition has it all. You find the ones that are very, very theological. When they have given a 45-minute exposition, they now say, so let us pray. Two minutes. Some other people, they turn it around. Two minutes of exhortation, 45 minutes of prayer. So which one should you believe in? We run out. Say, that one is my brother, that one is my brother. So you go to that other church, and you learn theology, and after you finish, go to the prayer church. Or at least my point is this. God has deposited a lot of good things in tradition. Don't get me wrong. Some people now say, ah, if you start saying that, uh, isn't this, uh, isn't this, uh, you want to push people into those kinds of things. I think you guys are smarter than that. But I'm saying that we may borrow things from different traditions. It doesn't mean that we're endorsing everything in the tradition. What we are saying is we're endorsing the spirit of God that has decided to move in all traditions. Amen? So, instruction will come. Here's what you need to do in the instructions that come. First, keep an open mind. Second, be willing to learn. Part of the ways we've been conditioned that brings about anxiety. See, one of the big characteristics of anxiety is, is um, overreactivity. We react, we react, we react. Any small thing comes, we just react, we react. So part of what happens is that we just want a sermon that is three minutes what, can you give me the essence of it so that I can move to comedy? After comedy, can you give me so that I can move to the news? Can I, no, we have to be a bit more patient. So what I'm trying to tell you guys is you will hear some sermons. It is your job to go and listen to that sermon five times. So that you understand what is actually being said. Not I already understood the overview. Amen? Instruction will come. Second thing is imitation. Paul didn't just say that you've heard of me in verse 9. He said, but that you have seen in me. Now, these practices can be learned also by seeing. Now, it's not just instruction. We're not just going to be saying these are the steps. Because sometimes we like, we like the explanation of things than doing the things themselves. Right? I remember one time I was, I was teaching in my Bible study a couple of years ago. And I was talking about the Lord's Prayer. This, the Lord's Prayer. This is why we're not all praying well. And so I did like a six-part series on the Lord's Prayer. It was wonderful. We didn't pray much. <laughs> Sometimes we like the explanation of a thing more than the thing itself. We are going to practice things. And we are going to practice the things that you have seen in me, not just the things that you've heard. And what does that mean? It means that sometimes we have to see other people do it. So we must do these things in community. This year is not the year to be absent from community practices. Amen? You can't do it on your own. This is what Paul was telling uh, 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 um, uh, 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 the Philippian Christians. He said, you, can't, you saw certain things in me. So, listen, we are still going to encourage community, right? You guys should still meet out, hang out, go for movies, have pizza, go to restaurants, joke with one another, play games, do all of those things. That's all part of community. Laugh with one another, share your pains, yes. But I would like to see some of the informal groups, not just the formal groups that we set up, but some of the informal groups. When can we schedule time so that we can do these practices together? The mere fact, me saying this, it already sounds weird. Let me tell you something. It is weird that it sounds weird. That is the way we've conditioned ourselves. It is easy to make a date for us to do exercise together, do all of those things. But let's just 
Spend time in the presence of God together. Let us schedule that. Let's schedule it for the rest of the year so that we can see each other's anxiety go down and so that we can be people of peace that can keep the peace and can make peace in the world. Amen? Third one is prayers. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer. Prayer is one of the, basically with this text, he's saying if you want to combat anxiety, do it through prayer. Why? Because prayer is one of the most vivid ways of expressing, listen, that we believe God's presence, not only that God's presence is with us, but that it is open to us through Jesus Christ. When ye pray, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. How did he become our Father? It is through him that made God our Father. Amen. So we know God's presence is available, but it's not everybody that goes into God's presence. There is nothing like your presence, Lord. All I want is to be with you. Not everybody is saying that. But because of the Christ who is reconciling all things, we can now enter into the Holy of Holies and speak to our Father. And in that Father's presence, anxiety is driven away. Why? Because one of the things we said about anxiety is anxiety tells us, the lie of anxiety tells us that God doesn't really love us. Now we are in the presence of God that we couldn't enter. It, prayer in itself is a statement, a definitive statement that the things that feed our anxiety are wrong. Jesus says, don't worry and be anxious for all these things. He said, if you don't believe me, look at the birds. Who closed the birds? Have you ever met the tailor of the bird? He said, oh, oh sorry, uh, who feeds the bird or who clothes the flowers? He said, Solomon was not adorned like these flowers, even in all of his own beauty. He said, do you think God will now not what? care for you, O oh, you of little faith. When we enter into prayer, prayer is an expression of faith that I am before a loving Father who cares for me. Sometimes it is not about God answering your prayer. It's just the fact that you decide to pray and be in His presence and the transformation starts to happen there. Amen? So prayer is something we're not just going to study, we're going to do it. Because notice, he says there are, other, there are different kinds of prayers. He says prayers with petition, thanksgiving, request. So there are different kinds of prayer. Again, we'll study it, but more than study it, we will what? Practice it. If you don't have these things, these practices of peace, you will continue to be an anxious person. Finally, the last one, meditation. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, what is true? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If any is, anything is excellent or is praiseworthy, what should you do? Don't forget, it says the peace of God will guard your hearts first. That is the place or the center of our being. And then your mind. Anxiety in our hearts leads to corruption of thoughts in our minds. So it starts with your heart, but it also gets into your mind. Let me ask you, let's be honest. How many of us, you will say majority of the time, your thoughts are filled with those things? Let me, me, I can't tell you it's true. So that means that there is a level of anxiety in us. If, we are hard, if our minds are not habitually thinking about those things, most of the time our minds are thinking about maybe sometimes sinful things, lustful things, Maybe sometimes our minds are thinking about fearful things. What's going to happen? 
Maybe sometimes your mind is thinking about that person who offended you, who spoke to you in a way that they shouldn't have. Or maybe that person that betrayed you. That, you know, all men are... Uh -huh. you, if you continue to say that, you will not reap good men. Well, let me just say. Right? You put all those thoughts inside you. Why do you think when you now go into the presence of God, you say, how is it that people pray, pray, pray for 45 minutes? Because when I went in, nothing happened. Why? Because your mind is full of so many things. And let me tell you something. Again, I'm correcting myself from years gone by. I used to say before that prayer is talking to God. It's true. Prayer is talking to God. But if we enter into the presence of God and pray the way God wants us to pray, do you know what else is meant to happen? you know what is meant to happen? God is meant to speak to us. God is meant to speak to us. But if your mind is clouded with things that are not praiseworthy, things that are not excellent, things that are not noble, you will never, let me tell you the truth, except God is trying to do something like, you know, he did to Balaam or something, you will hardly hear the, the, the voice of God. But I'm telling you guys, you can hear the voice of God. We can. And so meditation is about both what happens before and after we enter into the presence of God. Before and what happens after. So let me talk about before. Many times we want those things to happen in the moment. We just want that, okay, now I need to think about a noble thought. Uh, now I need to think about an admirable thought. Why is it that they don't come? You, you start thinking about it, then the thing just fizzles out because there's one distraction. Do you know why? It's because it is not about getting them to come inside you at the moment, but getting them to come from inside you at any moment. Who got that distinction? Many times we are thinking in the difficulties, we are thinking, can this, okay, I'm going, I'm anxious, I'm anxious. Nobu, what's Nobu? What's Nobu? Uh, what's pure? What is, when somebody say, calm down now, calm down, what, what's that to calm down about? My, my brother-in-law, when my sister and I, when we used to fight, when he used to fight, you know what he used to do? He would say something. It's, it's the most annoying thing. He would say, everybody just say Jesus. <laughs> first of all, the first annoying thing is, Oga, I know you want to marry my sister, but this is a family thing. Who invited you? The second one is, both of us are thinking, do you know what she did? Do you know what she said? Then the third thing is, why are you bringing Jesus into this matter? What is Jesus going to do? And the fourth thing is, I know that Jesus is meant to solve it, but I don't feel like Jesus. You know what I mean? And with all his good intention, what he was trying to do was to bring in something inside that was not coming out from the outside. You can't just say bring Jesus when you've not been spending your time trying to get Jesus in. Jesus is meant to come from within, not just come from without. Amen. So the practice of meditation is what we do first before we enter into the presence of God. These things, we are meant to bake them inside of us. So that in any kind of moment, you now remember when we talked about uh, centered people last week. At any moment, you'll be like, why is it that Ufama is not flustered? The same, the same thing that happened. It's like, ah, you want to fight on Ufama's behalf. You say, Ufama, did you, eh, did you know what uh, uh, Odi said about you? Say, ah, Ufama, if it's me, ah. Remember when we were in secondary school? Remember that thing? Say, eh. Did you hear what he said about you? He said, hey, me Jekba, because I know, hey, nobody can talk about my mother. My mother, and you're like, it's true. My, you spoke about, you spoke. <laughs> it is terrible things that must come outside of us, but the noble things and the excellent things must come from within us. Amen. Once you become that kind of person, 
that kind of person who is focused on putting those things inside you, when you enter into the presence of the Lord, I'm telling you, as you are saying, thanksgiving, all of these things, all of a sudden, there is something that comes. Some of us have experienced it. You know, he says that, it, that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. How many of you have ever heard that cool sense? You felt a cool sense in your spirit, in your soul. Who knows what I'm talking about? Maybe not many of us. You pray in a sense, there's a sense in which you just get the presence of God. It's just, there's something soothing. Your external circumstance has not changed, but you come out as bold as a lion. That's what meditation is meant to be about. Guys, what God wants to do with us is that he will pour out the blessings of peace upon the practices of peace so that we can live not for peace, but from peace. Amen. Finally, very finally, um, anticipating peace. Because I do know that someone may say something like, you know, why bother? Aren't all these practices pointless? I've done some of them before. But you see, you're not, I'm dealing, I'm not just dealing with fear of the unknown. I'm dealing with real fears today. Let me tell you, I may die single. I may die childless. Actually, I may lose my job. Or I may lose any of my parents anytime soon. And so the question is this, and listen to me. If Jesus has died for me to gain peace, and my circumstances prove I don't have peace, why would I believe I can have it now or ever? You're saying that if you say Jesus has died for me, I've been a Christian for a while, and yet everything around me is showing that I don't have peace. My circumstances don't prove that I have peace. I just, my girlfriend just broke up with me. And now I'm 38. What is the use of it if I don't have it now? Five years I've still not gotten pregnant. Six miscarriages. What is the use of the peace if I don't have it now? And how do you know that I'll have it? There's somebody like that here, and I really do want us to pray for you at the end of this. I don't want to belittle any of those fears. They are real. Maybe you've experienced them for a while. And I said, we'll pray, and I pray that God eventually guards your heart's desire because God is a God that answers prayers. But I do want to say something. Notice the peace that we spoke about. God is not a God that deals with symptoms first. God deals with the heart of an issue so that it gets to the symptoms. Amen? You see, many of the things you spoke about, if God gave you the spouse that you're looking for, if God gave you the, the, the baby and all of that, he's dealing with symptoms. He's not dealing with the root of it. The root of our anxiety is because we don't have peace with God. So when God sent Jesus, Jesus dealt with the issue of sin first. So that irrespective of how you feel in the moment, you can know that you have peace with God. Amen? But it doesn't end there. Tell your neighbor, it doesn't end there. It's because of one little phrase at the end of verse 5. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And then it finishes with this. It says, the Lord, the Lord, let's say it together, the Lord is near. Now, he's saying this to Philippian Christians who are going, undergoing persecution. Why is it that he can root the exhortation in gentleness? 
in the Lord is near. Now let me first say, because we've been talking about the presence of God, he's not talking about the nearness of the presence of God that we currently have. That's not what he's talking about. Actually, he's talking about the nearness of the return of the Lord. The nearness of the return of the Lord Jesus. Why is the nearness of the return of the Lord Jesus an anchor for the Philippian Christians and therefore an anchor for you? How does that help us to continue in the practices of peace? To continue to come regularly for the blessing of peace? The Lord is near. Why? Well, maybe if I can illustrate this way. I don't know how many of us came for the last carol service, the hymn Manual 5. How many of you were here? Yeah? Was it, was it good? Was it good? Let me tell you something about the, the performance that I think all of us that saw it know. We know. We know this for sure. Wait for it. You know that all the songs that they performed on that day, all the songs, as talented as all of these people are and the others that joined, as talented as they are, we know that that was not the first time they sang it. You know that was not the first time they rehearsed it. Now, maybe if it was me, it could have been the first time. You know, those kind of things. But it's not, not everyone is like me. Obviously, we know that kind of... <laughs> it's just, you see, God did not create... He only created us one. Uh-huh. But they all needed to do certain things. You know what? I'll tell you the first thing they did. The first thing they did was Elijah Kunle showed them the songs. So, like, oh, these are the songs. Then the next thing is, they watched the songs in the way they wanted. Then after that, they got arrangement of how they wanted it to be. So, you know what they did? They practiced the song. After they practiced the song, you know what they did? They practiced again. Oh, in that my line. And after they practiced that again, you know what they did? They practiced again. After they practiced again, you know what they did? They practiced again. And they were getting better, and they were getting better, and they were getting better. At some point, the practice moved not just from practice, it now became what? Rehearsal. They were now rehearsing because they got in a lot better. Is this true? And after a while, the rehearsal moved, they rehearsed and rehearsed, then they now moved to something called dress rehearsal. That's just the day before they had to rehearse in this place. They had to know how they walk up, all of those things. Why were they practicing and practicing and practicing and rehearsing and rehearsing? Why do you think they were doing all of that? I'll tell you two things. They were doing that because they were sure of two things. One, the first thing was that the carol service was going to come. And two, that they were going to perform when that day came. Amen. They were going to perform the thing they had been rehearsing. The thing they had been rehearsing, they had gotten better and better and better at. They were hoping that on that day, once it came, that they were now going to perform in a perfect way. My friends, why is it that we continue to engage in the practices of peace when we receive the blessing of peace? It is because the Lord is near. The Lord is coming. We know that there is a day when He's coming and what is going to happen? That which we have been practicing and rehearsing, we will now experience in a full way. You say you don't have peace externally. I tell you there is a day that is coming. That in the peace that you are practicing to have inside you, you will have externally around you. Why? It is not just 
but because the Lord is come, coming, it is who the Lord is and what he's coming to do. Somebody give me Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Let's listen to the Lord that is coming. Unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. That's fantastic. He will be called Mighty God. We need that. He will be called Everlasting Fire. Oh yes, hallelujah. But he shall also be called what? The Prince of Peace. There is a Prince that is coming I tell you when he comes there shall be peace on the earth because it's not just his name it is what he's coming to do for of the greatness of his government and his word peace there shall be no end I want to encourage you as we go through the year come receive the blessing of peace engage in the practice of peace because I can assure you your anxiety is not going to last forever his government of peace is what will last forever let's rise to our feet for listening to the gospel in lagos we pray you've been blessed by this message to learn more about city church visit www.citychurchlagos.com city church love jesus love people love lagos